Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the Purpose Made Podcast. A podcast dedicated to exploring the fundamental topics and key drivers for change within our global society today. This series is brought to you by Peter Bell, founder of Purpose Made, a strategic consultancy specializing in post-pandemic change and organizational transformation. Failure sometimes happens and you have to find a way to rise above it or go around the outside of it or hold hands with a whole group of people and create a raft and float on it. And that's one of the things that the Northeast is very, very good at. And in particular, one of the things that women, I think, are very, very good at, that network of solidarity, of companionship, of understanding, of empathy. Original Conversations, purpose made for you. So sit back, relax, and we do hope you enjoy. Hi, and welcome back to the Purpose Made podcast. In this episode, we chat to the amazing Dr. Joanna Berry, Associate Professor of Durham University Business School, Director of the Durham Energy Institute, and also the acclaimed public speaker, mentor, and Northern Power woman. During this episode, I chat to Joe about everything from her university days at Oxford, her role as a solicitor in South Africa during apartheid, diversity in the levelling up agenda to climate change in the planet. This is an episode I absolutely loved and you're not going to want to miss any of it. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and we do hope you enjoy. We, we were fortunate enough to meet last Friday at that Vistage um, session, which I really enjoyed. And yeah, today I'm really pleased that Joanna Berry is joining us for this conversation. So I think maybe let's start with your amazing career. Let's let's kind of go back in time and, and walk through it. Career as a verb as well as a noun, hey? Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was born in Hartlepool, born and brought up in the northeast of England. I'm very proud of that. It's still very much something that I have as part of my sense of identity. I am from the northeast and I'm very proud to be back here, part of that diaspora i keep meeting people who went away and come back again there's something about being from the northeast you go away because you think oh well what is there in the northeast of england and then you think oh wow it's so much nicer up here so i am number three in a family of four and all of us were very lucky we were brought up in a family where you know we had stuff we had holidays every year there were caravan holidays granted they weren't you know exotic but we had stuff, and I know that there are a lot of people in the northeast of England who didn't, who still don't have stuff. The levelling up agenda is a big part of my conversation at the moment around, around tables with people. And I went to the local comprehensive school and went to Oxford. That was my first big educational jump out of the norm for the northeast of England. I mentioned when we met about my, my very first experience of, of Oxford not being particularly pleasant one, which was lining up for books. Remember them? Big square mm-hmm. things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pre-internet. My, my son, who's 21, did think it was hysterical that I'd done an entire degree without the internet. And, and I was picking up great big heavy law books and standing in front of a row of boys who were marking us out of 10, like something from Strictly Come Dancing. It was just ridiculous. And this was my first experience, really, truly, my very first experience of being judged. I come 
from the northeast. And whilst the northeast of England is a bit rough around the edges, you don't get judged an awful lot. You're taken very much at face value. It's one of the reasons that I love this place. You don't get judged for what you wear. You don't get judged for for how you sound. You know, if you if you did, people like Andy Burnham wouldn't get very far. You know, we're very definitely from the northeast, and and you can look and sound like anything you want to. It's what you do. You tend to be judged very much more on on how you walk the walk rather than how you sound. And this was my first experience of being judged on purely and simply how I looked, not how I sounded, not what came out of my mouth, but on how I how I was dressed, for God's sake. That was that was just bonkers. Never happened to me before and gave me a really big shock. I got used to it because it was Oxford and that's what happened. You were judged very much on how many buttons of your waistcoat you did up and what sort of labels you had on your clothes. And again, the whole labels thing wasn't wasn't really part of my experience. Didn't really do labels in Hartlepool. Adidas, maybe, you know, I knew what the three stripes were. And that wasn't because I wasn't brought up proper. It was just because my parents placed value on things that weren't about labels. You know, my mum and my dad were both doctors. They saved people's lives. And that was a little bit more important than what the label was that you had on the clothes that they cut off the bodies that came off the motorbikes in the middle of the night. <laughs> so that was that was a bit of a shock to the system. I learned through it. I don't regret anything I've ever done. There are some things I might have done a different way if I look backwards, you know. The retrospectoscope is an infinitely powerful piece of equipment, isn't it? Exactly. But um, I don't regret having gone to Oxford. I learned an enormous amount there. A lot of it about how not to do things and how not to talk to people, if only by watching the way that some people talked to other people. I also learned that I should never have even thought about doing a law degree because I hated it and I was terribly bad at it and I failed at it. And failure is a really important lesson to learn, I think. If you can can learn to fail and learn the lessons, I sound like I'm going to burst into song, don't I? (laughs) But if you can accept that failure happens, there's two things that happen. There are failures that you bring upon yourself because you simply get things wrong. You don't try hard enough or you make wrong decisions. You marry the wrong man like I did. That was my choice. I made the wrong decision. I created that scenario in which failure was going to happen. He was just the wrong person. My parents told me that the day before I got married. They gave me the chance to get out of that situation. And I would, I'd just gone too far down that particular path. The presents were on the dining room table. The tent was up in the back garden. The party invites were out and I didn't have the courage to turn around and say, you know, this is just not a good idea, really. And I think actually looking back, the man I married probably would have said, you know, I agree with you. I don't think this is a good idea. If we'd both been braver, we'd have backed out of that one. But my parents were, as they generally are, right. And I wasn't brave enough to accept that. So that was a, that was a mistake that I made, a failure that I brought on myself. But sometimes tsunamis, volcanoes, earthquakes stuff happens to you that creates failure and you have to be resilient to deal with that. Sometimes you just can't help it. Situations occur to you. So some failures you bring upon yourself, other failures happen to you. 2008, you know, financial crash, you can't sometimes help that. You simply have to have that resilience brought into you. And again, that's part of the Northeast character, I think, that resilience that teaches you that failure sometimes happens and you have to find a way to rise above it or go around the outside of it or hold hands with a whole group of people and create a raft and float on it. And that's one of the things that the Northeast is very, very good at. And in particular, one of the things that women, I think, are very, very good at, that network of solidarity, of companionship, of understanding, of empathy, that women are slightly better at than men. And that's one of the reasons why I think that the mental health tsunami that we are feeling those first ripples of right now is going to maybe be dealt with slightly better by women than by men because we're better at saying help. Yeah, I think like that's so, so true because as a, you know, we've just done a, a pod about um, what to be a dad is episode prior to this one. And, and that episode came about on the fact that I see a epidemic of isolation and and within the male kind of culture, it's often that bravado that 
we don't want to openly chat about um, issues that are truly affecting us or we don't want to show show and share our vulnerabilities and you know the topic of failure like we we live in a society whereby everyone's striving towards success but what what actually is success and how is that how is that defined and you know you can't actually get to a point of you know if it be success in my view success is happiness um, and well-being if it's if you're striving towards monetary gain these are simplistic views that are quite easily attainable via persistence via openness via collaboration the issue that you know you mentioned a few things that i was intrigued by like about how as a society you've we've faced issues with regards to labeling and you you mentioned when you were at oxford about rating between one and ten like that's how so that's how facebook started they they rated people and it's gone on to be like this behemoth that is now we continue to judge ourselves, judge ourselves online, a very different persona to what we are in in in, um, in reality. And it's a difficult landscape for people to kind of take a step back and think holistically about actually, are we actually making the adjustments and the changes that we need for society going forward that is going to alleviate some of the stresses and strains that we're, we're going to envisage as um, as we continue along the road? Because there's there's not enough that's being done. You, you talk about the the leveling up agenda, and you know there's the other rhetoric about build back better. But we're not. How do we build back better if we don't take the time to actually reflect upon what better may be? So there's. I'm building back to what I mean. The exactly. north. Exactly. North has never been. Oh, building building back to what the north has always been a place where there's been this enormous division between the haves and have-nots. If you look now. You must have seen the statistics. If you look at the, the life expectancy between Biker and Pontyland, the life expectancy of someone that lives in Pontyland and someone that lives in Biker, just opposite ends of the metro, is, is more than a decade difference. Yeah. Just if you happen to be born in diagonally opposite ends of the metro system. And that's obscene. And, that's and the same with, with life expectancy. Yeah, exactly. And the same with life expectancy between the north and the south. Like if you live in the south, you, you have a higher life expectancy than you do in your, if you live in the north. And, you know, there is a, there's a lot of common themes that come within that in the fact that I think one of the difficulties that the, the United Kingdom face is on the basis of our, like, what is an archaic class structure. And um, we have, I mentioned about Facebook trying to put us in boxes and who we are as people and what do we stand for, etc. But if um, if we look at the British class system, there's always between those people like the haves and the have-nots. I don't personally think, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to be maintained because um, there's so many people that are out there that are wanting to see more progressive change and they're wanting to see more of a fair society whereby anybody through what they have in their head and what they provide from their intellect can be of value rather than how they look or sound like I've I've faced it when I've worked in jobs all over the place I've got a very northern accent but you know I've I've had it as a as a man where people you know kind of challenge you because how you sound and it's like again it shouldn't be about how you sound or how you look or your sex or your religion or your beliefs or your color it should be about your intellect and that's that's the underlying absolutely agree and I do think from the work that I've done in both university but also having my own personal focus group in the shape of my 21 year old there is a generation of uh, I was I was going to say kids they're not kids anymore of of people I he's an adult now so there's a generation growing up who actually care very much less about where you live and what you have and whether you drive an expensive car or wear expensive clothes and care an awful lot more about whether you're a half decent human being I'm impressed beyond belief by the things that they talk about when you just sit and listen to them in the other room while they're eating pizza and watching tv and and you know, they, yes, live almost entirely online, but so what? I lived almost entirely in books and my books didn't talk back to me. At least they're having a conversation. You know, my dad will, who's 92 now, he will get cross because my son is sitting there on his phone with his laptop open, with some other screen open and with music in his ears. And and yet my father will be sitting there with the golf on the television, reading the newspaper, maybe sitting on the phone to a grandchild who'll be on FaceTime. And and what's the difference there? It's multiple different ways of getting information. So, you know, I think there is a generational shift coming where they do care a lot more about 
the intellectual capital that they're getting and giving and not quite so much about how it's dressed up and how valuable the accoutrements are around, you know, whether whether the labels that I was judged by are there or not. I hope so. I agree. Uh, the labels, I think, are, are going to be things of the past. You know, we're, we're no long. We, we've tried for a long period of time in the professional world to label who we are and what we do as a job, but now people are doing multitude of different things, like doing a podcast to do, provide a management consultancy, to sitting on boards, to writing books, whatever it may be. People do a lot of different things that you know you can't. There's no more of this traditional labeling that it's it's being kind of outdated and. And also with regards to that, it just um, it opens up to what the possibilities may be. I read a great book by Gordon Brown the other day, and it was called The Seven Ways to Change the World. And um, I've heard of it. haven't read it. It's, it's it. fantastic because he talks about, you know, all of these key things that need to change for as a society for us to benefit going forward and actually have a society going forward with respect to, like, climate change or the... Um, the nuclear disarmament or whatever it may be there's a it's a really really interesting book it's funny as well in how the challenges that he faced when he was in in government at these kind of global summits and people were going towards these meetings with their own kind of internal agendas of what they may want from a region but i think now we we have we're seeing more pressing problems come to the fore and well, it's really uh, interesting what you say. I was talking to one of our, uh, he's not a, he's not a student anymore, but he was the student lead for the Youth and Energy Summit. He sat on the Durham Energy Institute advisory board. His name's Henry Carr. He's working for a consultancy now. I spoke to him just the other day. And his, his idea, which I thought was a blinding idea, was that every large corporate should have a student ambassador sitting on their board because it was the students who are actually going to be the ones that benefit or not from the decisions that big corporates like Amazon and, I don't know, Virtue Motors and BT and, you know, you name any large PLC. Any large PLC makes decisions that affect the planet in some way, shape or form. I'm not just talking about, you know, the fossil fuel corporates. I'm talking about any big corporate, any big university for that matter, any big environment that any big place that employs thousands of people if you've got a student on the board that's actually got voting rights it's them that those that those votes are going to affect because generally on a board it's people old people like me you know in their late 50s 60s really we're going to be dead by the time the decisions we make are going to make any big difference to the world whereas if there's a student on board who's maybe in their early 20s decisions that are made now will be affecting them and their children in a really meaningful impactful way and i think that's a really really smart idea it's like reverse mentoring well i think that's a very smart idea. We spoke to Juliet Davenport from the Good Energy and within Good Energy, they implemented this thing called the Youth Board, which is similar to what you're describing. It's, and, it's, it's um, not an uncommon phenomenon. And, and yeah. I think it's a great initiative because, you know, whilst the more kind of traditional boards are made up from people that are maybe in their 50s or and above, the values and the value that people of a younger generation can provide. It's not just a case of the knowledge that you may not um, be aware of and the things that are important to them, et cetera. Those, those, those beliefs and those desires for change is, is, is key to be, part, to be brought into the discussion. And then equally to that, when we talk about the topic of diversity, it makes no sense to me when, if you see some companies talk about how they're pushing diversity, but then you look at their board level and it's all white men, like in 50s and yeah. above, like that's not diverse. So we need to kind of challenge. And I think we do, we do see a lot of this, like where companies are attempting to say one thing and doing the other, they're like, that's the benefit of social media and the fact that they are being called out upon and um, the campaigning, whilst it may be not on traditional stances that it might have been historically on, on, on our feet and protesting and like that, there is still some of that, but there's an awful lot of campaigning online surrounding wrongdoing and, and we see it on a day-to-day basis. And yeah, that's, that's going to be an important thing. Like we in Purpose Made, I talked about um, in, like making sure we have a soul board that the people that we work with um, underlying that, like that we actually, rather than being this like mechanical thing that churns and churns and churns around the global economy and like builds from that 
basis. I want to make sure that like people are central to what we do and how we how we operate. So that ability to kind of look at your internal soul and make sure it's it's part of the discussion. And that's how we really see progressive change take place because we don't individually all know the answer to everything. Like I'm a, I'm a white male. I, I haven't experienced the things that, you know, like you've gone through or the things that some of, some of my friends have gone through. So that's another reason why I wanted to chat to you today. Like I wanted to talk about these experiences that have kind of left a lasting, let's say, impact on you and um, how you're looking to go about changing some of these things. Interesting. Well, there's there's been some... There are some that I can't talk about other than in the very general, but there, I mean, one of the things that has really been helpful has been the, if you like, the raft, the network around me. I'm, I'm a huge believer in the power of, of the network around. And I, I have a, a strong network of, of allies and, and friends. I'd say in terms of best friends, they're single figures that, you know, those people that, that know me well enough that I'd really have to kill them if I ever fell out with them, you know, but, uh, but I trust them implicitly in terms of, of proper, proper colleagues, the Northern Power Women Network is hugely important to me and I can reach out to them if I need, you know, if there's a, a friend who's going through a tribunal and I need someone who can give them a little bit of advice, I'm doing mentoring through the Northern Power Women Network and um, I've been nominated as Mentor of the Year now, twice now, I've been multiple nominations, which is great. And I'm on their power list and I help people out if they ask me for help. And that's a really lovely mutual reciprocity is really important to me. And there's, you know, there's men and women in that, in that framework as well. There are some really strong male allies to the Northern Power Women Network, which I think is really important. So, you know, the, the power of the network, I think, is 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 critical. There's, it, it all comes from a, a really interesting piece of research by a chap called Granovetter. It's come in 1973, I think, was the original paper called The Strength of Weak Ties, which is the principle is a lovely one. I don't know whether you know it, but it's it's not complicated. The, the fundamental principle of the strength of weak ties is that people that you know are totally uninformative because you know them. So your wife, your partner, your the people that you work with are really uninformative and therefore not particularly helpful. But people that know people that know people that you know are really interesting. They're strong, those weak ties, because they know people that you don't know and they know things that you don't know and they can bring new sparkly insight into your world that you wouldn't otherwise get. So that's what the strength of weak ties is all about. And I think that's fantastic. It's what LinkedIn does. You know, it's what social media does. It helps you to reach out of those strong ties that you've got that are sort of uninformative because you yeah. already know everything in those worlds and helps you reach out beyond those to the through the weak ties that you've got into spaces that can inform you in ways that you'd otherwise not know and I think that's really exciting I, I love that stuff somehow yeah. I'm connected to to the to Jacinda Ahern through like two people that I have yeah, to know. So is it, like, how, how many lines of like is it three lines to I can't remember the, the six degrees of separation is yeah, Kevin yeah, Bacon yeah exactly, I'm exactly. probably connected <laughs> to Kevin Bacon somewhere down the line but, and I love LinkedIn you know connect with me on LinkedIn everybody and anybody I, I just love that stuff because there's always going to be a time there's a chat one of my students from last year in new venture creation is now creating a brand new business to try and help refugees and it's an app that tries to help people who are helping refugees combine their skill sets to aggregate the necessary things that that need to happen to try to ensure that people who are legitimate refugees who need help and assistance can get it right so i've put him in touch with a bunch of people i know in the united nations a student from about five years ago aisha pardalingan who works in the united nations and i work in a social enterprise in homeless spring and the lady there is also helping refugees and i had dinner at St Aidan's College and the fantastic principal at St Aidan's College, Susan Frank, is doing a bunch of stuff with refugees. And all of a sudden, those three people, I can hook, a, hook them into him and bingo, stuff is happening that wouldn't yeah. otherwise happen, you know. So networking, I think, is, is a really important part of, of what I try to do. And that is what the Northern Power Women sort of framework gives me. And so, you know, in terms of how, where I derive my... Um, my strength from i suppose that's that's one of the ways in which i keep afloat on this slightly turbulent 
sort of world. And it, it, it does mean that when things get rough and rocky for me, I have those, those places I can reach out to people. So when, as an example, which reaches back to what you were originally asking me about, I'm in a job where the person who is my direct line manager is trying to get me out of that job so that they can replace me with somebody that is slightly more tractable. And they're accusing me of things that are completely unprovable and accusing me to my face, but without anybody else there so that I can't challenge them. I have two or three choices. I can either shout and scream and stamp my foot, which isn't going to get me anywhere because I'm being accused one-to-one in a room. I can record the conversation and replay it over social media, which is just not really going to get me anywhere, is it? It's not going to make me any more popular to anybody. Um, Although it might feel good short-term, I suppose, but it would probably not solve any major problem short term and it's certainly long term would cause nothing but grief because I can see court cases coming in. This person is very powerful, right? Or I can find a way to simply be better by reaching out to the people that I know and taking short term guidance and comfort from them and long term making sure that I simply am better and do better and ultimately achieve more than this person. Mm. And whilst it was a deeply uncomfortable time and a horrible experience, I came out of it a far more acceptable human being than the person that was trying to flatten me. And I made it through. And here I am, still three-dimensional, still bouncing, still doing what I do in a far better place than I would have been had I stayed and tried to tolerate it. You know, so so I think that the lessons that I learned there about resilience and about ways in which you can make your way through a difficult situation without lessening your own sense of self whilst being able to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and knowing that you are doing the next right thing for yourself and staying sane and not letting yourself down, but equally not letting down those people that look to you as a role model, because I mentor lots of people. I I learned a huge number of lessons in that particular respect. I think as as sad as it is to go through these experiences, um, sometimes in times of real challenge and turbulence and difficulty, we were forced through these crises to create an opportunity and create a catalyst for change so we we we've all had negativity within our lives and you know no more so than the covid pandemic where many of us have sadly lost loved ones and feel that like grief and difficulty around the injustice of it all but equally we and we kind of touched upon this a little bit on on friday in the fact that sometimes when as you said about like what this gentleman did to you tried to like squash you type of thing um they're doing that on the basis of they see you as a threat and um if you actually look at it and and take the emotion out of things and um look at it in in a more wider perspective these like if people see people as threats or competition or whatever it may be they're not thinking like they should be like it's that that's short termism there's no benefit to um belittle people it's about actually um looking at the wider picture and the fact that you've had to go through this change and how it's driving so much positivity out, out of the change and you know the fact that we have these conversations and whoever is listening to this may maybe take solace from it as well from difficult periods that they go through we're still here. That's the main thing. We're still here fighting and we're still here to, to striving forward. And you realize as you kind of, with every hit that you may get, the pain stops hurting. It does, but, it, but that takes me back to something you said, which I do think is really important, which is that it's much more difficult for men. It's much more difficult for men. And one of the things I mentioned on Friday, um, and I skipped over it very briefly because it was, you know, it's a conversation for a different audience, but my son was born three days after his father left and I haven't seen or heard from him since. Now, that's an easy sentence to say, and it was 21 years ago, but within that one sentence is a world of a conversation. And it's a world of a conversation that I'm not really, I can't legitimately talk about because something happened there that I don't know. 
I have no clue. Something it's it's a conversation that that you are actually it's more of a legitimate conversation for you to have because you're a man. I don't know what happened there. Something happened. Something broke. And I don't know what it was. And I obviously had no sign, no signal. I wasn't reading the runes. I don't know what happened there, but it is, I think, much more difficult for men. Now, granted, I was literally left holding the baby, okay, and the business and lost everything as a result of it. And yes, I'm still standing. And and my boy is now 21 and six foot four and... You know, he's he's not straightforward. Nobody's straightforward. We're just human beings and we're none of us easy people. But I do feel that as a female, I am absolutely blessed in that it is, for whatever reason, culturally, maybe in Western Europe, much more acceptable for me to say, excuse me, help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and for me to, to reach out and say, I need some help. I need a cup of tea and a handful of and biscuits that I can dunk and I need a big cry and can somebody listen to me? I mean, it's just, just men don't have that. You do, you can, but it's nowhere near as yeah. acceptable and that's a tough call for you. As a guy, though, you often, especially in like Western society, you hear this terminology about fight or flight. You're almost like triggered in like drummed into you to have these two mentalities you either fight for something or, or you run and yeah. uh, and like when you go through real trauma and you come out the other side you realize there's actually a third option and the third option is actually to discuss and talk about it and, and work through these issues so whilst i don't i don't know you to the extent of what happened with you and um, your partner that that sadly left you on that occasion i think that he was maybe within the process of fight or flight and it was a lot of him for him to take and he left and sadly some men do leave and do things like this um i've got friends where they're they were growing up in the exact same situation where um one of their parents left and they they don't know where they are and they, they never hear from them again and and that's that's really sad because as a you know as a father, like I'm a new father now, like Albie's now 18, 19 months old, you transform your role. Like your role transforms from being this like individualistic, selfish individual, which a lot of men can be, um, to being more selfless. And everything revolves around them and nurturing of relationships and supporting them and making them grow into the best person they could possibly be. And I think um, that language and that rhetoric about how men are taking more of a forward-facing role within the support and guidance of their their children going forward, I think is going to be a really empowering thing for a society at the other side of things because um, there's so much you'd learn from being a dad that opens up your eyes to the mistakes that you may have done previously. And that's an important thing. We take these lessons in life. Yeah, I suppose so. And that's one of the things that I like about mentoring as well because when you mentor people, you are being mentored yourself to a certain extent because in in working with somebody, be it through a short term, you know, there's a, I don't know, somebody's buying or selling a company and they want someone as a sounding board when that's happening. I'm mentoring some students at the moment because there's a there's a really intense project happening at in the, as part of their student work and each student gets given an external or a, an academic mentor as part of this project, you know, so there can be short term stuff. And I've got some mentors I've had for years, uh, some mentees, I should say, I've had for years and years. And I just get a phone call every so often saying, ah, I need some help. But in that mentor-mentee relationship, there is that learning process going on in, a both, in, in both directions. And I think that's fascinating. You know? And that's, it's like a bit like being a parent all over again, you know, but you get different conversations you get different questions and sometimes I don't know the answer and I have to go away I have to go away and ask it I I frequently don't know the answer but I guess the answer in a mentor relationship is very often and I think I said this on Friday night you know you can't spoon feed people because all you do is you teach them the shape of the spoon you you can say well I don't know what do you think and how how do you think you could do it and what are the what are the different options you think you've got and you guide people through what they're actually thinking they just don't know they're thinking it Mm -hmm. and you help them work that out and in that process you think through the options yourself so it's it's all learning and that's one of the things that I love about it it's like having lots and lots of kids that you're not ultimately responsible for feeding <laughs> ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But that's the main part of it, like to any clients that you kind of speak to and, you know, they reach out and ask for advice on certain bits and pieces. It's not about giving them um, the result. It's about taking them on the journey. So they find, so they work out the result themselves. Like there's no benefit in telling somebody a solution to something. There's far greater benefit in letting them, giving them the tools to figure out the solution for themselves. It's interesting. I, I offered some mentoring to, um, I, I went and did a, a talk to some guys down in the army in Catrick a little while ago. And uh, as part of the sort of follow up, I said, you know, if anybody wants me to put them in touch with an external mentor, if anybody wants any mentoring, um, just, you know, here's my card, drop me a line and I'll, I'll set you up with somebody or I can do it myself. And I haven't had any feedback at all from that. Not a single one of them, all blokes, but. Um, I, I wasn't really surprised. I think that's again, it's maybe a cultural thing. You know, maybe it's just not not done to ask for help in the army. But you've, you know, we we did also chat on Friday. Um, you, you've 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 witnessed some amazing things as well. Like if you look back to the the role that you did within law over in South Africa, like we've both spent time there. I was I worked there in. I think 2008 on a like a, a wildlife game reserve for a bit, which well, I absolutely really loved. That was Where amazing. That was over in the southeastern, on the, the eastern Cape, um, a place called Inquiquazi, which was, um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Had a great, great time there. But um, equally, like if we look at the evolution of South Africa, for example, through the likes of apartheid, this is still within my, my time. Like I'm, I'm 30, 38 at the moment, 39 soon. Like how, how was that? What was the realities of that? If we look wow. through the lens of diversity, like how, what, what lessons and, elements can you draw from from that experience that was astonishing that was absolutely astonishing so i went out to south africa in 1985 i'd married a chap who had played rugby in what was then uh, rhodesia right in between his school and university he was a very good rugby player and it was still rhodesia and Become Zimbabwe at the time. He he just loved it. He'd been, I think, teaching English as a foreign language or whatever, and he'd loved it, running rugby and the expatriate lifestyle and everything was brilliant. So we got married, as I think I've said, uh, too young as we would probably both agree. Uh, didn't really last very long, but we got married and we went out there. And he was in effect employed to play rugby, and they dropped him into the R and D department in the local steelworks. Um, Iskor, which was the Iron and Steel Corporation of South Africa, in possibly the ugliest place in a beautiful country, a place called Vandervaal Park, um, in the high, dry Transvaal. And I got a job at a law firm in Krugersdorp called Fenter Hesse 
and Duplessis. And I left South Africa a couple of years later, two and a half, I don't know, almost three years later, with my identity card, which certifies that I'm a white person, should I ever need to check, and the ability to speak Afrikaans, which is the world's least useful language, although it's wonderful for swearing in because there's lots of... (laughs) Lots of, lots of sort of guttural spitting noises when you swear in Afrikaans. So I got over there and I had been brought up and had been surrounded of Oxford slightly to one side. There were a few token gestures, but Oxford was still very, very white, for want of a better description. But I had been brought up in, in a relatively, I hate the phrase, but colourblind world. My parents had lots of friends who were from India, Pakistan, lots of doctors who were, um, my dad's best friend was Francis Sandor, who was Hungarian refugee, and Vasant, who's still around, Vasant is, uh, is an Indian laryngeal surgeon. He's a professor, was a professor. So, you know, I mean, lots and lots of multicultural stuff floating around at home, and it, none of it Touched me. I just it didn't occur to me that people were different because of the colour of their skin, and so I got across to South Africa. And as we drove to this house that the company had rented for us, we went past the village that was for black people, and the Woolworths that was for black people, and the train station that was for black people, and the chairs that were for black people, and. And it suddenly, in that 24-hour period of my first day in South Africa, it became laughably apparent to me that, that there were two parallel universes. It was like a science fiction story, you know, with a planet inside a planet. There was, there was the white world and there was the black world and they lived in parallel universes and they never touched each other so there was the bus stop at the end of the word at the end of the road for black people and then there were the white people who drove cars forwards and backwards on roads but black people didn't have cars white people had cars black people didn't have cars and there was a shop for the shopping center for black people the shopping center for white people was a train station for black people, not just trains for black people, there's a whole train station for black people, there's a train station for white people. And after a few days, the, the neighbours came over and said hello and said, did I want a maid? And I said, well, no, not really, I can do my own housework. And they were a bit shocked and horrified. And they said, well, there's maid's quarters at the back and the maid that used to be the maid for this house is looking for a job and she could probably do with a job. And I said, well, if she could do with a job, then... You know, if she needs a job, I can employ her. And I ended up employing this woman to be the maid for the house because it seemed like that was the thing that I was supposed to do. And I didn't want to upset anybody. And it was it meant that I was employing this person. And about a week later, I saw her standing at the bus stop at the end of what was quite a long road. So I stopped to give her a lift to the house. And she wouldn't get in. She wouldn't get into the car. She was absolutely mortified. I couldn't speak to her because I didn't speak her language at the time. But she was absolutely mortified. And she just said, no, 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 no. And everybody at the bus stop was looking at her and looking very strangely at me and looking very strangely at her. And eventually I gave in and I just got back to my house. And I said to the next door neighbours what had happened to Nick. They laughed at me and they said, why on earth did you offer her a lift? I said, well, because it's, I don't know, almost a mile to walk up the road. And she was standing, she was waiting to get the bus to come up here. And they said, well, you, you would have embarrassed her terribly. And, and that's, that's absolutely the wrong thing to do. You don't want her in your car. She's dirty. And it, it, this was just, it was, it was like I was hearing, it was like I was in some, some play that I didn't understand the words to, that nobody had given me the script for, that I didn't. I just didn't understand it. I've never, very rarely felt out of my depth quite like this. It was just bizarre. So I started to get to to understand that these people treated black people like, like rather stupid children who were very dirty that you didn't talk to. You didn't, you didn't really take much notice of that you left outside in the rain if it was raining and they were there too early because they, they weren't supposed to be there. You just left them in the rain. Or you might leave them, you might leave the back door to the, it was basically like a dog kennel, this concrete block at the back of the house. 
it, it honestly was just the most atrocious scenario and in the end I just I couldn't deal with it and I I had to say I'm sorry I'm going to do my own housework I can't I can't possibly employ somebody that I feel I can't treat the way I want to treat them they don't want me to treat them any differently to anybody else because it makes them badly treated when they get home because they are they are looked at differently because I'm treating them in a way that the rest of their brothers and sisters aren't treated so they get looked down on I just, I couldn't deal with it. it. It was honestly so disconcerting and so uncomfortable. It was, so it, uncomfortable. It's crazy as well when you kind of take it, when you look at it through the lens of when apartheid was taking place, those many, many years after Rosa Parks um, and the Montgomery bus, boyco- yeah. uh, bus boycott in, when was that, like 1959, December? Yes, um, like, it's crazy that like then... You know, years and years down the line, still in South Africa, this was this was taking place, and 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 we kind of we do kind of see the issue as well with with the rise of the the kind of desire to separate people and in, in like the rhetoric of us versus them, uh, which yeah. you know is very it's it's prevalent amongst political agendas, and we we saw it under the under the Trump administration oh, we see yes. it as well that through the Conservatives, scary. so. It's crazy, and um, you know this this divide and this it's disgusting and it's quite regressive. When at the time we need to be cooperating internationally and being progressive, it's just and you can see why you can see why there is a generation of I won't say again kids or or young people, but there is a generation growing up who prefer to be online where they can be who the hell they want to be, and it doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter what you sound like, because you can configure yourself to be and to look and to feel the way. You want, you know, you can see why Avatar was, was so ridiculously popular uh, because because it really shouldn't matter what you look like. But that, that experience, it was 1985, it was a long time ago, you know, Nelson Mandela was still in prison. It was, in a, it was a, my parents, God bless them, let me go. I personally would have locked me in a box. <laughs> I wouldn't have let me set foot on that plane. I would, I would have had to. And that's one of the reasons why I am extraordinarily proud of my parents they let me go and do things they didn't ever stop me they didn't encourage me to go to South Africa in 1985 but they didn't stop me they didn't lock me in a box and their temptation must have been huge for them but they let me stretch my legs and they did their best to educate me and and I came back all in one piece so you know I was lucky because I I was trying to defend black people in South Africa in 1985. Mm. And also you faced, you know, you you faced the challenge of of being a white woman in that setting where... I'm not a very good lawyer either. (laughs) We did chat about the the male... Had I been a world-class lawyer, it might have been slightly different, but no. We did chat about like the male privilege and the fact, and you were in an environment where, you know, to touch upon some of the conversation we had the last time we spoke, maybe the challenges that you faced even going to the courtroom and going to yeah. see clients um, and the yeah. fact that because they were kind of waiting for this white dude to turn up. Well, that was, well, that was working for the, for the World Economic Forum. Yeah. You go striding into Manila when you're, you know, just short of six foot without your heels on and, and you sit there and wait for half an hour and, and then go and knock on the secretary's door and say, excuse me, but I've been waiting here for half an hour. And they look at you and say, yes, we're waiting for your boss to turn up so that you can go and see Mr. Whoever. And you say to them, no, no, that's me. I'm Joe, I'm Joe Berry. And, and they don't believe you because you're a woman. They, they presume that you are just some secretary bird that's waiting for her boss to arrive so that the really important stuff can get done because you're a girl and you can't possibly be, can't possibly be important. It's just, just bonkers and, and very, very, it's very, very conflicting, very conflicting. And it happened, you know, when I went to Russia, you'd, you'd, you'd get all the way across to Moscow and, and, and Moscow was a, a horrible place. It was at the time. And it was quite dangerous. And you'd walk down the street and feel very, very vulnerable in a place like that and and really did need bodyguards and didn't have them. And it wasn't a place for a female to do business. It just wasn't. It's, I'm sure, it's slightly different now. But, uh, but South Africa back in 1985, 86, I had to go into Soweto in a tank 
Yeah. I had to go to it. When I was in Lebanon, I did some work over in Lebanon oh, for a while yeah. and um, I had to go to work in an armoured car, which was interesting. It was a time <laughs> of like, fun, isn't it? Yeah, when, when Syria was all like kicking off, it was, um, I was doing work on like the border and it was, um, yeah, pretty intense. <laughs> it is. And again, you wouldn't ever wish not to have done it because it's, you know, they're great stories, but you look back and just think, dear God, if that was my child going to do that, you'd just be yeah. over there like a shot and whip them out, wouldn't you? Take them home and say, don't be so silly, come home and have some scrambled eggs on toast. But I still, I was, you know, <laughs> Lebanon to me is still like a place that I absolutely love and adore. Like, I, I it's it's a crazy place to, to go to. I remember we sat down with some clients um, and we, we were going to do a particular audit for them. And on the um, evening, we were having dinner and they were saying, whatever you do, don't go to this place. It's on, on like the Syrian border. Because because there's just been a kidnapping taking place. And, you know, we hear stories of kidnappings. They're pointing um, at, like, the Hilton in the centre of Beirut of oh. where it was all shot. And, oh, right, where the journalists all Yeah, and, um, you know, and then obviously we we had we didn't finish the entire project because it, it just properly kicked off, so we had to be flown out. But, um, you know, in amongst all that, it's you see, like, people that so authentic and uh, have such a passion for community and and the food is just stunning and just some of the nicest people I've ever come across and you do get these experiences you know I worked out in Russia as well and uh, like it's palpable that that sense of like I would say like apprehension and like fear that you can kind of see from people amidst the streets and you know you you it's definitely not a place to be walking around in the middle of the night it's just it's the awareness I guess and and I'm facing this very much as again as a as a white male. But you know, even when I've conversations to with my wife about like what like the progression that she faces, which she's an anaesthetist in one of the local hospitals, but she talks about you know what it's like to be a woman, and even on like nights out and stuff, what what it's like to be a woman, and like it's stuff as a guy, like you don't even think about that you're going to be harassed or bothered if you go to a bar and get a drink, or if you go down a street and the 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 fear about like carrying like some pepper spray in your in your handbag or whatever, like all of this I've never had to face. So it's a different world, but it's a world that. Like, I think it will only be fixed and will only be solved by people talking about these experiences to kind of almost like to shock people as to what it's what it's like and what it's what it's been like. And then beyond the talk, then start like working up um, structures and remediations to solve some of these these issues. Because I think um, you're absolutely right, because history doesn't history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes, you know, yeah. and unless unless we do start not just to talk about what has happened in the past, but to actively try to change the way things are. We will hear the echoes, we'll hear the rhymes, and they will keep repeating themselves. And whilst Donald Trump hopefully is back in his box, there are plenty of people out there like him who will fight their way up to power and they will buy their way up to power and they will keep on trying to make things the way they used to be. And we do not and cannot ever tolerate that again. That was one of the scariest four-year tenancies that we've ever had. And it came scarily close to being an eight-year tenancy, and that would have been... And those riots that were taking place, oh. like, that's, you know, when when, it, when we talk about, like, the like of action stuff, this is where we kind of need international cooperation on the likes of, you know, like, regulation taking place on some of these social media platforms. Uh, because yeah. um, misinformation and the use of, like, we're, we're about... If we think it's bad at the moment, like wait until AI properly locks into play, because then when you're able to kind of create programs and structures that can mimic how what you believe and what you represent and kind of feed that almost like the the, the confirmation bias that's underlying some of your your views and beliefs, feed that with misinformation and lack of proper sourcing of information and lack of cross-referencing. It's it's a troubling world. So I think um, very, people very just need, they need to kind of op- open their eyes to some of the issues that we're facing because to some it's very, very, it's profitable um, to have all of the crisis that we see taken place like and it's profitable to separate and it's profitable to go down the route of again that us versus them rhetoric but when you talk about the the tones of of history and like follows a similar theme like again anybody that's likes a little bit of history that just look back to what happened in the 20s and 30s there's a lot of similar issues taking place back then to to now and likewise to what happened in the 80s during Margaret Thatcher's reign so we we've got to be 
I'll say like emotionally intelligent with our language and uh, and our th- and what we believe and always always challenge things like uh, obviously I I've spent quite a lot of time doing like degrees and masters and whatever so you know when it comes to like putting in papers it has to be properly referenced so like rather than pick up something that my mate Doris wrote this on um, Facebook therefore I believe it like exactly. actually challenge where the information is coming from and see where the source is and um, if it's if it turns out just to be misinformation or if it turns out to be whatever, um, at least you know before you start spreading that language because that's the that's the biggest challenge. If we don't have that kind of critical eye on things and just take things on face value, that's where we do end up in real, you know, like storming the um, Capitol building, sort of yes. insane Absolutely. things taking place, and yeah, it's 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 worrying. Well, it is, and I'm I'm hopeful that. You know, and there, there is a new focal point in COP26 coming up in November, mm. and I'm hopeful that that will be a time for truth and not a time for too much in the way of politics, although, you know, politics and truth aren't always easy bedfellows, but um, I would like to feel that that was the start of a whole new conversation because we really are getting to the stage where it's a little bit too late for the politics and mm. it, it, it's almost too late for the truth. With You know, there have been some people who've been trying to speak truth to power on climate change for years and years and years and we are almost too late for your little ones yeah, and then you get and then you get when you try and speak the truth sometimes you get argued that you're woke and woke is seen as a word oh, that is negative that. but actually woke is it's it's just woke, woke is about being awake to what's going on around you and it's Absolutely. it's not negative at all but, it's um, not, and there, there are some people, and I know that Greta Thunberg isn't necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but and she's not always right, I don't think either, but she's doing yeah. a bloody good job of holding some people's feet to the fire. Exactly. And, you, and, you, and, and the same with Extinction Rebellion. They're not always right. They're not always elegant. They're not always smart about what they do, but they're, they're making some sensible noise and they're, they're, they're waking a few people up that maybe need to be woken up. So, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily always join them. Mm. But I applaud their actions, and I do think that it's important that we are awake to the reality of climate change because it's not it's not net zero; it's less than zero. I mean, we we are a dying planet, yeah. and unless we stop queuing at petrol stations to put petrol in our cars, that's going to kill us all anyhow. And start thinking a little bit more about how we can make some big gestures to stop trashing our planet for your children and my children really the rest of these conversations about whether it's women that kill the planet or men that kill the planet are sort of irrelevant you know there are slightly larger conversations that we need to have but you're absolutely right it is about not just receiving wisdom wholesale it's about unpicking those bits of it that are true and then doing something about them not just talking about them in in echo chambers you know that's that's important but people are, you know, the people are using their platforms as well for for good causes in in certain respects as well. So, like as you say about Greta Thunberg, how it's she may not be to everybody's taste. Like I, I applaud her for the fact that you know recently, if you she was obviously saying how all of the commitments towards the Paris Agreement of all of the G twenty nations, none of us have actually fallen in line with with what no. we agreed to. Not so, a, not a um, single one. That's a great thing to be doing and just she can use her platform to highlight these blatant errors and blatant issues where, where we need Absolutely. to be better at. And, and um, errors new clothes, you sometimes need a, 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 a powerful voice just to state one single thing like that and just get everyone to say, okay, that's maybe something that we all need to take notice of rather than the politicking around the outside, you know? Yeah, exactly, because there's no point in, in telling the world that we've got world beating this and world beating that if at the at the back end of it is that we're seeing issues falling by the wayside on all these fake promises and that there's a great report um done by um elderman that actually talks about how the pandemic has put truth um, truth to the test and if you kind of look at government and media they, they're the ones that have globally faced the biggest decline in in people's beliefs and whether they are telling the truth or not and so therefore you know it is it is ultimately up to ceos up to founders up to new businesses up to people willing as you say to network between one another to shy away from the confirmation bias and actually work with people from new new realms to create new ideas ideologies to push push us forward and um 
because we did talk briefly on Friday about how some of the kind of old school ways of working is it's just going to be left behind. And it, that, that would be almost in, in my head, what, what some of the challenges that we're facing at the moment, a lot of the people that are, they're desperately trying to clamber back to a return to norm. All of their noise is just going to be put in the distance as you, they're just swept aside by all of these people um, developing businesses, new technologies and new initiatives that are, are going to lead us forward a little bit better. So, you know, we did talk earlier about the financial crash and like that when we look at the, the frailties of what happened at the financial crashes, so many organisations at the time dug in and they hoped that when it, it was finished with, they could reemerge and their business was there as it was pre, pre-financial crash. Same people are making the exact same mistakes now in the fact that they think that their, their landscape that they operated in previously is the, is, is the same, but it's not like the customer's behavioral traits, expectations, desires, how we, how we buy, how we consume is totally different to what it was pre-pandemic and the main piece for industries now is actually the educational piece it's like being willing and open to listen to voices like yourself like myself about change that is occurring and also um, taking on our experiences that we've had within our professional lives and and in your case also your academic life that um we've actually got the knowledge to put down foundations to help you in these cases. So we provide you an opportunity for a sustainable future rather than a future of um, like discontent, really. I hope so. I hope so. We'll do but, a little bit at a time, you know, and hope it all adds up to something where the sum is, where is it the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That's what yeah. I'd like to think, you know. Exactly. So the last thing I'd like to finish with is obviously a closing point that I, I like to ask is, Ben and I, what we've just discussed, what are your viewpoints for the future going forward and what are the lessons that you would like to take? It's a big, we've had a, quite a big discussion there, but. We have, we have. Okay, so to everybody listening, because of everything that I've been talking to, my mentees and my son and a lot of friends recently, but it's also, it's, I suppose it's said because of what we've been talking about with COP26 in mind as well. Look after yourself and look after your planet because you only get one of each, so far as I know. And I think it's really important. If you don't look after yourself, you can't look after those you love. And if we don't look after the planet, as far as I know, there's only one of us. Nobody's come and told me there's anywhere else we can go when it's all done. So be kind to yourself and look after yourself. And learn to listen. I don't think people listen enough, actively listen. And those of you with children will know that when they've only got one sock on and you're five minutes late for the school run and 10 minutes late for the bus and it's raining and it's Monday and your other half has left you without making the packed lunches, it's very easy to scream. But all of a sudden they've borrowed the car keys and they've gone. So listen, because those little ones will be the ones that you will leave behind. They are the legacy. They are our legacy. And for those of you with children um, who've grown up and gone, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you with little ones that keep you awake at night, you'll wish they'd grown up and gone. And for those of you that don't have kids, then it's those of us that do have kids that hopefully will hope, I hope, will create a world that will be more equitable and more diverse and more inclusive so that you can enjoy it. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Made podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Purpose Made wherever you normally get your podcasts to hear the latest news and views. You can also find and follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter or contact Peter directly to connect, inquire about Purpose Made or request to be featured on the podcast. We look forward to welcoming you back soon for another episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.